Well, my fondest hope, my fondest hope this morning is that you are going to forgive me for what's becoming a weekly political commentary. But I'm telling you, this season that we are in now as a country and what it's revealing about our culture and what it's revealing about us, it's an illustration goldmine for any pastor. So here we go again. This week I'm quoting from the opinion page of the New York Times, and and what I'm reading is written by a very influential, uh, reform-minded conservative. And this is what he writes. Many evangelicals feel increasingly powerless, beaten down, aggrieved, and under attack. A sense of resentment or a narrative of injury is leading them to look for scapegoats to explain their growing impotence. People filled with anger and grievances are easily exploited. Enter Donald Trump, alpha male. Mr. Trump's evangelical supporters don't care about his agenda. They are utterly captivated by his persona. They view him as the strongest most dominant, most assertive political figure they have ever seen. End quote. Now, if this should be true about us as evangelical Christians, and I feel like it is true about us and our perception of ourselves, the questions are these. Why, why should the word powerless or impotent or beaten down ever be used to describe the person who is a believer in Jesus Christ? Why should those words ever be used to describe the church of Jesus Christ? Secondly, if we assess ourselves to be as described, why should we look to the strongest, most dominant, most assertive political figure we've ever seen to change that about us or to strengthen us or to make us more potent. My prayer for us is that after we look at Tuesday of the week that changed the world, that you and I would consider ourselves powerless and impotent no longer, and that you and I together as individuals and as a church would look to Christ for the strength that we need, we need to be a potent force in our world. As believers in Christ, we must live as unstoppable people because we belong to an unstoppable God. If you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, once again this week, the 11th chapter. We're going to be reading about Tuesday of the week that changed the world. The verses that we'll read are only representative of this long passage that covers Tuesday, but there'll be enough for us to get uh, the, the big picture. And that is that Jesus can't be stopped. So if you have your Bibles open to Mark 11, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 27, this is the word of the Lord. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. 
By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men... They feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again so much for your word. Thank you that you are a God who communicates, who speaks to us. Because you want us to know you, you want us to know how it is that we should live our lives in you and for you. And so we pray now the blessing of your spirit on the reading and the hearing of this word. Convict us of your truth and only your truth, we pray, and ask that your truth would change us. Make us strong, powerful people. Make us as a church a potent force in this world for Jesus' sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Before we get to Mark, and the passage we read this morning, we've got to go back in time first. We've got to go a long way back. And we're going back to the person and the book of Job. Now, most scholars believe that Job lived during the time of the patriarchs. You know Abraham. He was the first patriarch. And in recorded history and scripture, only the first 11 chapters of Genesis talk about history before Abraham. The point being that Job was way, way, way back there in time. Now listen to the conclusion that Job reaches at the end of this very long book after he has pondered the the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the justice of God. After Job has questioned whether God can be trusted, after Job has questioned, must God reveal his will to us before we're required to obey him? After all that, after all the dialogue that takes place between God and Job, these are Job's final words. Job chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do any, anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Way, way back there, Job repented for having wrong thoughts about God. Wrong thoughts about his sovereignty and his goodness and his justice. He repents for wrongly believing that God is stoppable. The reality is, the power of God, the plan of our sovereign, good, just God is unstoppable. Job had to learn that lesson thousands of years ago. We need to learn it today. God is unstoppable. 
Can you say that with me? God is unstoppable. Now do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is unstoppable. Yeah, it's better saying it to someone than letting it hang out there, right? Because it is true. God is unstoppable. And that's the lesson that Jesus teaches on Tuesday of the week that changed the world. The series that we continue with this morning brings us to Tuesday. And it is a big day for Jesus. It's a day of intense battling with opponents who one by one in succession take their turn at trying to stop Jesus. Mark dedicates more verses to this day, to Tuesday, than any other day of the week that changed the world. 115 verses given to Tuesday. The end of chapter 11, all of chapter 12, and all of chapter 13. Now listen, Thursday, the day of the Last Supper, the day that Jesus was arrested, only gets 60 verses. And Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, only gets 47 verses. Tuesday gets 115. That tells me that Mark believes that it's vitally important that God's people get the message of this day. And the message is that Jesus is unstoppable. And if you and I don't get that message this morning, we will never change the world. And if you and I don't get this message this morning, we will forever be writing a narrative of injury about ourselves. And we will continue to view ourselves as powerless and impotent. But the message to us is that Jesus can't be stopped. Tuesday begins with the same trip that Jesus made on Sunday and Monday from Bethany to Jerusalem, a trip that's a little under two miles. And as soon as Jesus gets to Jerusalem on Tuesday morning, he goes again to the temple. And when Jesus goes into the temple, this posse, and that's what they actually were, a posse of chief priests and teachers of the law and elders, they come to Jesus with a question that they think is finally going to put a stop to him. I bet they've been formulating this message all night long, ever since Jesus humiliated them on Monday by clearing the temple, flipping over the tables and the money changers, driving out the buyers and the sellers and forbidding anyone with any merchandise at all, to pass through the temple courts. They were humiliated. But now they're confident because they have formulated this question that's going to be the undoing of Jesus. And so here goes, it's in verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? They ask. And by this, and by quote-unquote these things, They're talking about clearing the temple on Monday. They're talking about the stunt that Jesus pulled on Sunday when he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, actually thinking that he's the one that's fulfilling Scripture, that he is the coming king. These are the things that Jesus was doing, and they didn't like it. They didn't want Jesus to do these things because doing these things was threatening their world and the comfortable and the powerful and the privileged lives they had built for themselves. 
their life, literally, was on the verge of being shattered if Jesus was not stopped. We might better understand their desperation to stop Jesus. And maybe we could pop that bubble that we put around characters in the Bible, this otherworldly do-do-do-do-do-do bubble. If we think back to the days and the weeks and the months after October 29th, 1929. Remember that day? No, you don't remember that day. Well, Andy, you remember that day. (laughs) I bet you remember that day. The day the stock market crashed and America was sent into the Great Depression. We've heard stories, right? We've seen pictures of people who jumped from windows of tall buildings to their death below. Why? Because their lives were shattered. Because they lost everything they have. And desperate people do desperate things. Had someone told those people, if you do, quote unquote, these things, the market won't crash. Don't you know? They would have done those very things. The desperation of these religious leaders could not have been less than the desperation of 1929. If they did not stop Jesus, they absolutely would lose everything. Jesus was a real threat. People were believing Jesus. People were following Jesus because he was amazing them with the truth that he spoke. Mark, in his very first chapter of his gospel, writes that Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Teachers of the law, they're in front of Jesus right now asking their question and people prefer Jesus over them. Jesus is a threat. He's got to be stopped. John records the reaction of the crowd in in chapter 7. When the Messiah comes, will he perform more miracles than Jesus? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about Jesus. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Finally, the temple guards come back to the Pharisees and the chief priests, only they don't have Jesus with them. And they said, why didn't you bring him in? And the temple guards said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. Even the temple guards, those employed by the religious leaders, were swayed by Jesus. Jesus is a real threat who must be stopped, but he seems to be frustratingly unstoppable. John also writes in chapter 7 that they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But listen, they can't give up. They are too desperate to give up. So on this Tuesday of the week that changed the world, they determined we must stop Jesus. And so this delegation comes with this question, And they hope that by asking and answering this question, Jesus will be discredited in front of all the people and they'll stop following him. Where do you get your authority? They know Jesus' mother and father. They know that three years before this time, Jesus was just a carpenter. They know that Jesus can't produce a Bible college degree or a master's of divinity or a doctor of ministry or a doctor of theology. He can produce none of those in the presence of men who can produce all of those things. 
And so people will lose respect for Jesus and stop following him. So this posse, they begin to salivate as they think about the only answer that Jesus could possibly give to justify his authority. Jesus is going to have to answer, my authority comes from God. And then when Jesus admits that, they can arrest him on the spot, even in front of all these people, for blasphemy, for claiming for himself things that only belong to God. So their trap to discredit Jesus is set. The only problem is that Jesus is... Oh, dear. Jesus is... Unstoppable. So Jesus agrees to answer their question. At first, they will answer his question. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. Now, these religious leaders are trapped. They can't answer, well, it was from heaven. Or everyone will say, then why didn't you follow John? Why didn't you believe him? They can't answer that the baptism was from John because you know what John did. John pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John baptized Jesus and gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So they can't acknowledge John because they didn't believe him. But they were afraid the people would stone them if they acknowledged John because, as verse 31 says, the people held that John was a prophet. So, with what must have been clenched teeth, they respond to Jesus, we don't know. Therefore, according to the prearranged agreement, Jesus doesn't have to answer their question either. And so they go away, having not stopped Jesus because Jesus is... Tuesday morning continues in a similar fashion. Now we're in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Jesus tells a parable, and the religious leaders recognize themselves in this parable. Okay? Israel is the beautiful vineyard described in this parable. God planted it. God tended it. God turned it over to tenants, which would have been these religious leaders, to care for it. Then God sent, the owner sent, to collect the harvest the produce from the vineyard. But when God sends those to collect the harvest, they're either beaten or killed. And so finally, God, the vineyard owner, sends his own son and they kill him as well. Then Jesus ends by quoting Psalm 118. This is in chapter 12, verse 10. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, what the builders rejected, the stone they cast aside they didn't want, you can't cast it aside. It becomes the most important stone, the capstone in the entire building. Why? Jesus says, the Lord has done this. The Lord. Unstoppable. You can try to cast him aside, but you can't. He's too powerful, too unstoppable for that. He will take first place. He will become the capstone. And so what's the reaction to this parable? Verse 12. Then they look for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. 
But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Once again, we see that Jesus is another group. They come now and they take their turn trying to stop Jesus. The Pharisees, this time, they team up with the Herodians. Now, this is a very unlikely match. These two groups don't like each other. The Pharisees are all about the nation of Israel and the kingdom of God. The Herodians are all about the kingdom of Herod. They support Herod politically. They want his influence to increase and increase and increase. So the Pharisees, pro-nation of Israel. The Herodians, pro-Rome. They never get along. But look, on Tuesday of the week that changed the world, they come together. They're going to team up in this effort to stop Jesus. This is in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 12. And so they come to Jesus with their question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, if Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes, then the Pharisees are going to pounce. And in front of everyone, they're going to say, look, he's pro-Rome. You hate Rome, he's pro-Rome. Don't follow him anymore. On the other hand, if Jesus says, no, don't pay your taxes to Rome, then the Rhodians will pounce on Jesus and say, what? What is this anti-Roman activity, this sedition? We know what Romans did, right, to people who were seditious. They crucified them, right? And so it's a perfect plan. We don't have time to delve into Jesus' answer, which is a pity because it's a great answer. But Jesus says in verse 17, very simply and very famously, you know the answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. That's his answer. And what's their reaction? They were amazed. Once again, Jesus cannot be stopped because Jesus is... Tuesday continues. Now, another group takes their stab at stopping Jesus. This group, they're called... The Sadducees. Now, if you had to guess, what do you think is going to happen? Are they going to stop Jesus? No. No. They come to Jesus with a question about the resurrection. Now, bear this in mind about the Sadducees. They don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't even believe in the afterlife. Because when you're as wealthy as they are, and they're the wealthiest in Israel, and when you're as powerful as they are, who needs an afterlife, right? You got it all right here in front of you. So they don't care about the resurrection. They don't care about afterlife. All they want to do is to to stop Jesus. And so they ask him a question that they think will be ridiculous to try to answer. Therefore, Jesus will discredit himself. And so they put before Jesus a scenario of a woman who marries seven brothers in succession. Each brother dies. She marries the next one. What kind of woman was she? She outlives them all. Who will she belong to in the resurrection? The Pharisees know this. I mean, the Sadducees know this would never happen. But if they can catch Jesus in a theological error concerning the Leverite marriage, which we learned all about in Deuteronomy, right? Remember Deuteronomy? You missed Deuteronomy? (laughs) Guess what? We're going back after Easter. You can't stop me. In answer to their question, Jesus says, You 
Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? And then Jesus begins to correctly exegete scripture and he ends by telling them this. You are badly mistaken. And so once again, Jesus confounds them with his answer. Luke tells us they, they, the Sadducees, did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. Matthew tells us when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So once again, we see that Jesus is not stopped because Jesus is... You would think they'd be getting tired at this point. Are y'all tired? I'm getting tired. You think they would have figured out by this point that Jesus can't be stopped. But they're hard-hearted and they're tenacious, and so they don't give up. So here comes one more attempt. Look in verse 28 of chapter 12. Another teacher of the law comes to Jesus. He had overheard the debate between Jesus and the Sadducees. He thought Jesus had given a good answer, and so he asked his own questions. And his question is this. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And in verses 29 through 34, it's a description of the conversation that, that takes place between Jesus and this man. Again, so worthy of our time, but we we have to go quickly. Look at the response at the end of verse 34. When Jesus finished his answer, from then on, no one, not just the Sadducees, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so on this day, on Tuesday of the week that changed the world, Jesus has demonstrated that he is unstoppable. There is no human head that has yet contained a human mind that can outthink Jesus. That's smart enough to see all the contingencies of every decision or to devise the perfect trap to stop him or outsmart him or outreason him. No one. And some of you all are really smart. You are, and you know really smart people. Can't be done. Jesus, the Christ, knows truth perfectly. He is perfect truth. So, when we know Jesus, when we belong to Him, when we have His truth on our side, ours is not a narrative of injury. Right? Right? We're not impotent. We are not powerless. We're not beaten down. We neither need to look for or depend upon the strongest, most dominant, most assertive political figure we've ever seen. Now, the elephant in the room right now is Thursday. Thursday of the week that changed the world. Because that's the day that Jesus was arrested, followed by Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. So much for unstoppability, right? What happened to the power? When Thursday does come, and when the most unjust arrest in human history was made in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus does go to the cross, it's not because they finally trapped him. It's not because they finally figured out how to outsmart him or overpower him in order to stop him. Please know, Jesus was never overpowered or stopped. 
Jesus reminds us, John chapter 10, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to pick it up again. Jesus spoke clearly to Judas on Thursday night at the Last Supper. And he said to Judas, what you are going to do, go do it quickly. Jesus knew. Judas, go ahead. Betray me. I'm in control. Go. Go betray me now. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed intensely, and the drops of blood like sweat, as he prayed that the, pass, the cup might pass from him, he prayed because he was in control. And he knew that that cup was coming and that the cup was coming now. So by arresting Jesus and by crucifying Jesus, they're not stopping Jesus. They're advancing his cause. Jesus, power and authority is never bested, never stopped by anyone. And you and I need to remember that if we're going to be people who change the world. We're not Pharisees or Sadducees or elders or teachers of the law. Unlike them, we love Jesus, right? We love Jesus. We don't want to stop him. But the irony is that they wrongly believed that Jesus could be stopped, so they kept trying to stop him. We rightly know that Jesus can't be stopped, but we give up trying to do what he has called us to do. So that words like powerless and beaten down can rightly be used to describe the church. I'm just saying Tuesday of the week that changed the world should change that about us. Should change us into people of great confidence in our unstoppable Lord. Where? Where is it that you believe That Jesus is powerless and therefore you are powerless. Where? Where do you think Jesus is, is stoppable? Some area of sin in your life? Oh, those chains are too strong to burst. Oh, that addiction is too strong to break. Oh, that situation is too difficult to change. That relationship is too far gone to mend. No. Jesus is what? Unstoppable. He's unstoppable in his pursuit of us and in his power to preserve us to the very end. We're going to make it. Jordan Stormy Banks, that's our reality. He's unstoppable and he has the ability to change the world through the gospel that we speak and that we live out. Jesus tells us so. Because Jesus is unstoppable, Evangelism should be our joy. I want to say it again. Evangelism should be our joy. I know you all. I know myself. Joy is not usually a word that we use to describe evangelism, is it? More often it's a burden to us. Oh dear, I've got to share the gospel. Or it's a source of shame. Oh dear, I didn't share the gospel. I feel terrible about myself. But how can sharing the good news of the gospel be a burden when the Jesus who makes the gospel good news is unstoppable? 
You and I are like the Pharisees. We're in error because we don't know the Scriptures. Therefore, we are badly mistaken. We wrongly believe that the power of the will of people is stronger than the will of God and the power of the Spirit. But what do the Scriptures say? I'm going to tell you. Jesus says, John chapter 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's what Scripture says. Jesus does not say that all the Father gives me might come to me. He doesn't say that I should lose some that God has given to me or that some who look to the Son will have eternal life or that I might raise them up at the last day. No, Jesus can't be stopped. All the Father gives will come. None will be lost. All who look on the Son will have eternal life and will be raised on the last day. Do you believe that? Jesus can't be stopped. We're not strong enough to resist, so why have an attitude of defeat? Why reason and arrive at false conclusions about the salvation potential for someone else without factoring in that Jesus is powerful? And because he's powerful, he's unstoppable. And he's strong enough to crush the walls of defense that people build against him. Tuesday ends, at least for Mark, with Jesus looking toward the future, the end of the age, the big finish. Look in chapter 13, verse 26. Jesus says, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. See, that's the end of the story. Jesus can't be stopped. He's coming again with great power and great glory. Verse 37, he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Jesus is going to command and it will be done because Jesus is in fact. Why should we be defeated or beaten down? Why should we ever feel powerless? Why should we ever write for ourselves a narrative of injury? Stop wringing your hands. Stop Stop complaining. What's going to happen to this country? Stop. Stop looking for a scapegoat to explain why we are weak. The world right now, our world needs unstoppable people. Our world needs unstoppable people. People who will not stop standing for the truth. People who will not stop telling the truth about Jesus. People who will not give up in defeat. We, right here, we must be those people. We can be those people because Jesus is... Tuesday tells us so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that your truth would penetrate our hearts this morning. What a clear 
picture we have on this Tuesday, this long day in the week that changed the world. One confrontation after another, after another, after another, all of them seeking to stop you, Lord, all of them wrongly believing themselves to be smarter and more powerful or to possess more authority than you. And Lord, one by one, you defeat them because you are unstoppable. Lord, convince us of that truth. Your sovereign plan and your tremendous power is what makes you unstoppable. Lord, you've given us your spirit. Forgive us, Lord, for participating in the woe is me conversations. Forgive us for the choices that we make because we believe that we are disadvantaged and powerless and beaten down. Forgive us, Lord, for looking to any other person or any other source for our power and our strength, but to you and you alone. Father, inasmuch as we've done that, forgive us and change us now in this moment. Convince us of your unstoppability and your power. And cause us to be people, Lord, who don't complain, but people who pray. Pray for your strength. Pray for your wisdom. People who are bold, who go out into this world with confidence to speak the good news of the gospel. And Lord, to live out the reality of the gospel. The acts of of compassion and justice and mercy. That we do not because we want to, but because you've shown us those things and we need to show them to the world. Do that innocent through us. We pray now our unstoppable Savior. Amen.